the sheikh, he says, and, and, and he'll know, he, 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 you may not feel it in, in, in the translation. And this is actually, I had to use someone else's translation also. So sometimes it's lost. Uh, the person that I, I, I found, this translation, doesn't have a background in Islamic law. So sometimes, I don't like to call it translation, I like to call it rendering. The rendering lacks the legal feel. But this actually is an axiom. Why do you think he usually starts his discussions on principles of Tesov with legal axioms, based on what you've learned so far? Almost every single one of these principles, he notes a legal axiom. Then he mentions a specific evidence. Yes, Abdurrahim. Okay, what does that mean? To do what we, we talked about, right? Talseel. To root it in the law. Because we said the goal of writing the book was what? To merge those together. On one end, those of you who are lawyers, I don't know about secular law, I can say that Islamic law is dry. It's really dry, man. Uh, I had a spiritual crisis in Ezhar because I was in the College of Law. It was just like so court cases, this, 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 if this happens, if this happens, if this happens, if this happens, if this happens. I was like, man, like, I came here to like gain iman. So on one end, it's to bring some spirituality to the legal tradition that may have drifted away from it. We haven't talked about that a lot. And on the other end, as we've said, is to discipline who? To discipline the spiritual tradition and to tether it to the law. That goes back to the principle that we just talked about, that talazum. The relationship between the spirit and the body. He's trying to unify that again. So he says, You can hear how it sounds in Arabic. That's a principle. It sticks out like a sore thumb. How it's constructed is a legal construction. So he says, The ruling of the follower is the ruling of who he follows. Or she follows. It's like really general. Can mean a lot of stuff. Translator said, when a follower adheres to the way of he or she follows, he achieves the same designation. Designation is a nice legal word. But here it means hukmu. Right? The understanding, the ruling, positing that person is going to be based on the sincerity of who they follow. And what of that they claim to follow, they follow. So if I claim to follow the Prophet the adherence to his teachings, the action on his morality is going to mean I'm like on the Sunnah. But he's talking about something else here. There were people who came later who said, and Imam Ghazali, unfortunately in the Ihya'i, was criticized for this, who tended to exasperate the need for being poor. Like poverty is synonymous with piety. Being aloof from the world is synonymous with piety. So that there were some people who considered like success emblematic of religious treachery. That's a dangerous thing, man. Because if everybody turns their back, 
on managing the world, what happens to the world? And this is something that happened during his age. When I was in Egypt, man, I don't know how many people here, anyone from Egypt besides... Okay, mashallah, Masriin, come in. So in Cairo, there's a place called Mu'attam. Mu'attam is like these hills. Now they're like bougie. But back in the days, people used to be scared of those places. They're like the equivalent of like a forest. You know, something like people were terrified of. And when I lived in Cairo, there were people who claimed to be Sufis who went and lived in the caves of the Mu'attam. They would like wear nasty clothes and they wouldn't eat and like... Some of them, they became Magnoon, you know, and they said this is like in the name of piety. Again, if we wanted to take the analysis of linking that to that, is a problem. But then they would also, like, rebuke people. And a more cancerous form of this is like religious communities who, if you don't fall into a certain style, you're not allowed to be part of that community. Outside of Ibadah, talking about in adat issues so he says the ruling of a follower or the designation of the follower is going to be that who or she follows in what they follow of that designation it's going to be a little bit clear in a second even if what came before them was better in other issues. وَقَدْ كَانَ أَهْلُ فُقْرَاءُ فِي أَوَّلِ أَمْرِهِمْ The people of Sufa were some people in the time of the Prophet in Medina who were poor, but this was not self-imposed poverty. And that's where people sometimes make a mistake. It was the reality of their circumstances. And they sacrificed and scholars differ over their numbers. They sacrificed to be near the Prophet and to study and to dedicate themselves to worship. They used to be called Adiyafullah. They used to call them the guest of God. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, for some time he was from Ahlul Sufa. Sayyidina Ali salam, for some time he was from Ahlul Sufa. Sufis tend to trace their spiritual practices and their turning to God to Ahlul Sufa. So some people thought, because Ahlul Sufa were poor, that means other people can't be on the spiritual path who aren't poor. So Imam Al-Ghazali, rahimahullah, in the Ihya, he really, and scholars were critical of this, like, hunger and poverty and takes it to like this really harsh, harsh extreme that Imam Ibn Jawzi comes after him and says, whoa, 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 turn it down a little bit, boss. And then from him comes Imam Al-Maqdisi who also does a really beautiful summary of the Ihya. We studied it last year, almost half of it, and tones it down a little bit. Doesn't mean Ghazali's bad. Remember earlier, in trying to capture the sacred, people are going to kind of be in that Venn diagram patient. So what the Sheikh is saying is, listen, you can't just say that being from the people of Tasawwuf means you have to be poor because poverty wasn't what made Ahlul Sufa Ahlul Sufa. Why? Because some of them, when they left that state, being Ahlul Sufa, they became rich. During the time of the Prophet. 
But still they were respected and honored for being people of piety. So the Shaykh is saying, what you follow of people is what designates you as their follower. So I follow the Sunnah of the Prophet If I love Allah and worship Allah, it ain't where I'm from, it's where what? Where I'm at. I could be in a penthouse, I could be in the basement. But if I'm with God, I'm with God. So the Shaykh is doing something that's somewhat revolutionary in his age. He's saying, stop making this a good old boys club. And restricting it to people who may be self-imposed poverty. Self-imposed poverty religiously is a problem, by the way. So what he's saying is, if someone claims to follow Ahlul Sufa, and in the beginning he said, وَقَدْ كَانَ أَهْلُ الصُّفَّةِ فُقْرَاءُ فِي أَوَّلِ أَمْرِهِمْ They were poor. In the beginning, Ahlul Sufa, they were poor. حَتَّى كَانُوا يُعْرَفُونَ بِأَضْيَافِ اللَّهِ To an extent that people used to say, these people, they're God's guests. Like, God got them. They have nothing. ثُمَّ كَانَ مِنْهُمْ الْغَانِيُّ وَالْأَمِيرُ But from them came people who were rich. And from them, came people who became kings and leaders. But they were still given that same designation. After they became successful, after they became involved in politics or activism, people still said they're from what? Ahlu Sufa. So what you follow, if you say that I'm on the way of those people because I'm poor, you got it wrong. Because even after they achieve success, and even after they achieved like even political engagement, people still called them what? Ahlul Sufa. So they weren't known for that because of their piety, but they were known for that for something else. Or their poverty, excuse me. They were known for that for something else. And that was turning to Allah. So what he just did, he expands it. And he says, you guys have misunderstood it. You think it was poverty that makes piety. That's not what makes piety. Because those people became successful. And those people even engaged in politics, activism. But now we see in the community finger pointing at people. Yes, sir. No, 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 no. That's a long discussion. Good question, though, man. Good question. But the Safa means like poor, pure, and they coming close to Allah. Al Jaw Safi is the Jaw, like the, the sky is clear, you can see it. So the heart is clear for God. But that also meant the place where they used to sit. Safa. So he said, Rahimahullah, I want us to understand something. He's saying people misunderstood Tasawwuf for fashion. How I look, how I dress, how I talk. My income, I'm a convert, I've been Muslim 50 years. He's like, oh, that's ornaments. But if you truly follow this path, it's not about that. It's about turning to God. And you can turn to God anywhere. You understand this point here? What happens now? Uh, we see it in the West especially, the fashion about the fashionality of like religiosity. The ornamentation of religiosity. Sheikh is saying, that's cool, 
But that's not the real issue because if poverty is what made someone close to God, those people would not have worked for success. But they did. To the point that some of them became emirs, became rulers. At the same time, it's a very emancipating principle because what he's saying is everyone within their space and everyone within their circumstances can have this relationship with Allah. So he's kind of breaking the cultish behavior of some of the Sufi tariqah here. He's saying, you know, I hate to use this word, but it's like he's a populist, man, in a good way. He opens it. Then he says, ثُمَّ كَانَ مِنْهُمْ الْغَنِيُّ وَالْأَمِيرُ وَالْمُتَسَبِّبُ وَالْفَقِيرُ Mutasabbib, somebody who works. Somebody engaged in business and transactions. Working class people, young professionals. You can call what you want. وَالْفَقِيرُ and poor. لَكِنَّهُمْ شَكَرُوا عَلَيْهَا حِينَ وُجِدَتْ Here he says something beautiful. They were thankful for material things when they occurred. They had sugar. كَمَا صَبَرُوا عَلَيْهَا حِينَ فُقِدَتْ And they were patient with loss. So whether in riches, or whether in success, or happiness, because success for us is wide, it's not just about getting paid. Whether they found what they were looking for in life and they were satisfied, they were thankful. And whether they experienced loss, they were what? Resilient. So it's not about what you have, but what? Where you are and who you are. So he's saying, don't restrict the seekers of God to being about material possessions. But being a seeker of Allah is about where your heart is and where you are in seeking Him. That's why Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, when he was asked, can a millionaire be a Zahid? He said, of course, if he's not owned by his millions. Imam ibn Qayyim, he touches on this very beautifully. said, if money and success and opulence, we're not capitalists. Or the opposite. He said, if money and opulence is synonymous with the lack of piety. Again, we believe greed is a problem. And that wealth can lead to danger. We know that. But if I'm able to discipline the use of my wealth and my success, if, right, it's not easy, I can either be a Qarun or I can be Uthman ibn Affan. I can be Fir'aun or I can be Khadija. I love what Dave Chappelle says. Dave Chappelle, first time he's probably ever been quoted in the Dars. Fahaddathani <laughs> Netflix. عن ديف شبهل بسند متصل قال ديف شبهل said what? Money is the fuel of choices. It is. It's a powerful, powerful word. So Shaykh is saying this. So Ibn Qayyim said if opulence and success was parallel to piety or if poverty and lack of ability and capacity were parallel to piety what do you say about Suleiman and Dawood? Say to Suleiman, ask for what? For power. People here involved in community organizing and have studied Ed Chambers and Saul Alinsky, we know about good power. 
the need for good power. Good power is to shut Pamela Gellner down. That's good power. So sometimes Muslims are like, no, power is a problem. We shouldn't have power. Allah says, If there wasn't a balance of power, the earth would become corrupted. The power to protect. The power to make choices. The power to scaffold my life. For Allah, that's important. Suleiman asked for what? Give me a kingdom like what? That no one can ask for. Solomon. Prophet Muhammad says, if Solomon didn't ask for that, I would have asked for it. Allah? For power. The second he said, is if that was the case, Sayyidina Suleiman and Sayyidina Dawood would not have asked for the power, physical power, and Dawood, what kind of power did he ask for? Fahma. Knowledge. So he said, and no one is more pious than Dawood and Suleiman. David and Solomon. Yet they asked for power. We need to be very careful, especially post-Arab Spring, of political entities who tell us that the weaker you are, and the more I have my foot in your mouth, the more pious you are. Be pleased with God. Take this. Pow! But if you try to punch back and tell them, be pleased with God, what are they going to do? They're going to bring hell. Yes. Um, in that vein, I guess this is a question I've had trouble with sometimes. To what extent do you have people, or you want them to value knowledge, or you want them to value scholars, and scholars are politicized, and the institutions also are whether it's Muslim or Saudi, how do people then reconcile that respect for the tradition? We need to scaffold our old institutions in America for ourselves and quit relying on people overseas. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean that like, I don't respect ulama. I do, okay? But, if I see someone marching with Sisi and holding his hand, I don't care how nice their turban looks. If I see someone marching with whoever, okay, and smiling and clapping and encouraging the army to kill people, like on Rabah, uh, that's a problem. But why is it that the American Muslims have this whiplash for overseas moments? But I guess just historically, though, right? Can I finish? Uh, Habib, can I finish? Oh, I'm sorry. So, yeah, it's okay. So, when are we going to start to build our own institutions and then we can hold people accountable? We don't hold people accountable. We have now, call out, call out culture has done that for good and bad, right? For good and bad. But when are we going to build, like, like Zaytuna is an example, Maghrib is an example, now Sheikh Yasser is in, in Dallas, uh, Omar Suleiman with Yaqeen. But when are we going to craft, like, you know what the, the Jewish community told me the most important moment in the history of America was? One rabbi, 1865, when they built their first rabbinical college in this country, in Cleveland, Ohio. To, to fund, like we complain about imams and scholars, but then we don't, we don't scaffold it. We don't build it. So when I see, for example, Jennifer Lopez got two million dollars to go perform in Doha. And then I see an imam in America that needs twenty thousand dollars to create a course and he can't get it. Jado got two mil. You know what I'm saying? He can't get twenty grand. So what are you saying? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I'm wondering, but historically the most elite institutions are 
Muslim or in Saudi University of Medina, right? So when we're trying to assess the credibility of then scholars, even if we're creating institutions here, they're not necessarily going to have that same prestige, right? Like the Harvard and the Yale isn't necessarily going to be at the same level as, you know, something that much more right? A certain field like that matters because it goes to how how prestigious, how bright the students are, how likely it is that they are thinking at a higher level versus maybe another institution. Well, I mean, there's two things. Number one is Harvard has a history. Harvard started out as a religious community. It split with Yale because Harvard was considered heterodox. That's why it's called New Heaven, Connecticut. It's a new haven away from Cambridge where the savages are. Seriously. And then you had Andover Theological Seminary that was built down the street. There's a history to that. And, and it's evolved more so into, of course, a secular institution. I don't think it would be fair to have that expectation. Like, we're going to be like Harvard. <laughs> nah, dude. We're going to be like DeVry, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going we're gonna to be like a Votech, dude. We're going like, to yeah. like Job Corps, okay? But we can demand and, 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 and not look for the solution now. But 100 years from now, 200 years from now, are we going to be able to create credible men and women that will, the experiment itself will create standards. The experiment itself will scaffold into the demands of the community. Right now, I'd argue that religious institutions are so privatized, you don't have a reciprocal relationship between community and teacher. You got sheikh. And you can roll or leave. There's reasons for that. A lot of people have been pushed out of Masajid by, of course, political institutions. Masajid tend to repel talented imams because they get into problems with each other. Imams sometimes also ain't easy to deal with. We know that. So what happens is I leave those institutions and I silo myself. I create my own educational institution and I'm not going to let you come up in here and mess up stuff. That's an attitude that's there right now. I worry that what that does now, that, that like silos a theory. Where there needs to be reciproc reciprocal. Like I need to be engaged. I need to be listening. So I would say we got to do it. We don't have to look for results now. Like that may take years, but the investment in that process. If I, if, I, if I worry about strategic failures in the beginning to the point that I never start, that's also not a problem, that's a problem, right? But I, I worry, we, we worry. O overseas scholars are important. And, 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 and for, more so for us in America, we tend to be fascinated with ancient scholarship more than contemporary scholarship. He talks about this. If you have time, we'll get into it. Why the scholar that lives amongst you is the most important scholar in your life. Or scholars. Because they know what you're dealing with. But we have to invest in creating our own level of... Like, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've never been asked for a CV in any mosque in America that offered me a job. I could have made it up, man. Yeah, I went to Oxford for like, you know, one week. Got a degree from there. Got a jazz from Cambridge. I'm saying, blah, 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 blah. They just believe it. No criminal background check? Nothing. So we open the community. People don't even know who they are. How do we create standards is when you start to create, like, colleges that train <coughs> religious leadership. Second thing, and we got to jump, man, is we need to pay these people. Like, being an imam, I remember when I told my chacha sahab, I had one chacha sahab, he was my mentor in Oklahoma from, from Pakistan. Okay, it's my chacha. 
I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to become imam. He's like, you'll never get married. That's what he told me. I was like, why? Isn't it? Because I'm a convert. I'm like, isn't it an awesome job? So honorable? He's like, brother, they ain't going to pay you. My first job as an imam, they paid me $22,000 a year. Everyone in my household was on government cheese and government insurance. Then I said, man, he was right. That's not going to attract people, man. And you couple that with the political challenges that exist in these nonprofits, and also the ego of some of the religious leadership is there too. It's not good, man. It's not good. Okay? Don't ask me more questions. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> then he says, so these people, they were thankful for success and patient and resilient in the face of loss. So it wasn't about their poverty that made them, and it's not about their poverty that makes you of their followers. But if you want to follow them truly, then you follow them in spirit. So he says, And what he means here is that you follow them in their heart, in their, in their faith. He says, And that their experiences and the success that they achieved did not evict them from being designated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as those يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِيرِ يَدُونَ وَجْهَ as Ahlul Sufa. They continued to be known as Ahlul Sufa. So it was, again, I keep saying it, it's where they were here, not in the material. كَمَا أَنَّهُمْ لَمْ يُمْدَحُوا بِالْفُقْدَانِ So Allah didn't praise them because of not having being, for example, going through poverty, but what they were praised for is their hearts. That they wanted irada, their niyyah was Allah. And that's not conditioned on riches or poverty. So thus, the Sufi is not someone who's rich, not someone who's poor. Yeah, people, sometimes I mentioned last night the guy that came to me, he's like, he wanted to quit, quit his career. <laughs> Why don't you quit your career to get closer to Allah? Well, fix your heart. Sometimes as converts, this happens to us. People say, you got to change your whole life. You change your whole life. What does that mean? You got to change everything. I've converted this brother. like, brother, you got to change everything about yourself. I was like... What? What? Everything? I like some things I do, right? It, it, and it becomes scary. Of course, I need to polish, work on, improve. But Sheikh is saying, work on this, follow this. What they were known for is ikhlas. And the sign of their ikhlas, their sincerity, was thankfulness with success and resilience with loss. And that's what makes you from those people. So then, whoever he says wants God, whoever truthfully turns to God, فَهُوَ Sufi. Then that's the seeker. That's the salik. So what he did is expanded. How many of you in this room feel guilty because of your success, religiously? People don't like to admit it, but it's out there. 
Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not an imam. Nobody has to be imam. You don't want to be imam. Oh, I'm not as pious as that person. Why? Well, because, you know, I work for, like, General Motors. What does it have to do with you being pious? Piety is something else. And the Prophet ﷺ and the Shaykh, he's alluding to this important statement of Sayyidina Nabi alayhi salatu salam, who said, At-taqwa ha-huna. Taqwa is here. Yes, sir. Uh, the way to achieve taqwa is in the Quran to increase in worship. Increasing the taqwa is not a buzz. It's not a trip to the dispensary. When I leave, I'm like, ah, oh, I got that taqwa now, boy. That's not taqwa. Taqwa is knowing past experience before I was a convert. Taqwa is knowing that I'm doing what Allah has ordered without a feeling, without a high. Some ulama said, if you worship that high, that's a subtle form of shirk. But out of Allah's mercy, sometimes we get that, ah, man, that feels great. No, taqwa is not a feeling, taqwa is an action. So avoiding the prohibited, increasing my worship, Improving my character, my yaqeen in the statements of God and His Messenger that affirm that is taqwa, my certainty in that is greater than my doubt in not having a feeling. And we have to be careful because when people start to look for feelings, they start to get down. But that's biology. We have a doctor here. That's hormones. That could be. You know, you spray Febreze all over the place, it's an endorphin disruptor. You're not gonna feel good. If I go smash like tall burgers for like three or four hours the next morning, I'm not gonna feel good. So you find people. I met brother one time at Fudger. We prayed Fudger. He's like, man, I'm such a bad Muslim. I'm like, no, you just prayed Fudger. He's like, I didn't feel anything. But you just prayed Fudger. So is it about the feeling or the what? It's the what? And trusting that God is pleased with me because I've done what God has commanded. He said in the beginning that you do what God asks you with feeling, without feeling. It's there. That's why the Islam comes in. If I don't know what I'm doing is right or wrong, I need to learn the ruling. And that's when I ask people. Is this okay? This is not okay. But in the general perspective of things, think about this beautiful narration. When that Bedouin comes to the Prophet, and he says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do prayers, I'm going to fast, I'm going to do zakat, I'm going to make hajj, I testify to God, I'm not going to do more, I'm not going to do less. And the Prophet said, that's a person of Jannah. He didn't turn around and say, but I want to feel good. It's like, that's a person of Jannah. Who wants to see some from Jannah? Look at this person. And that's something else the Sheikh's going to do. We don't have time to get into it. He's going to break down the complexities of making this too hard for people. He's like, your relationship with Allah is based on 
as Al-Muhasibi said, if you want to know your relationship with God, ask yourself your relation, his relationship with you. And that's choices. Sahla. But people like weird stuff, man. People like conspiracy, people like mystery. Sheikh is like, no. Why would, the, why would Allah say to the Prophet to say to us that there's nothing you can do more, there's nothing you can do more beloved to me than fulfilling the obligations? And a person will continue to add to those obligations and good deeds until I love that person. How the Yes. If, if I'm not observing good things and that I don't have that feeling anymore, then maybe I need to check myself. But his question was about what if I'm doing good things and I still don't have that feeling? It doesn't matter. I'm doing it. But of course, like let's say when I used to hear Quran, I used to get soft in my heart. And now in my life, I'm like not living a decent life. I've turned away from basic things and I don't feel it anymore. That may be a cause of that, yes. But the way that the question was framed was what if I am doing good things but I don't have that feeling? You're doing good things, man. You know, like, sorry to use your career as a metaphor. You prescribe antibiotics to somebody. They take it and they, they, they get better but they don't have like some euphoric experience. They're still getting better. Just take the medicine. In fact, what do most doctors tell you? Take it, take it all. Even if you feel good, do what? Finish it. So it's, that's not the issue. But if I'm noticing a change spiritually and then I, I can correlate that to not doing certain things, that may be there. And I need to self-diagnose. Don't go to the Muslim WebMD though. That's a disaster. The Sheikh, he says something here also that we want to talk about because we're all not the same. He says, لا يلزموا من اختلاف المسارك اختلاف المقصد Meaning, very beautifully, a difference in approaches did not, does not necessitate a difference in objectives. If you don't have this PDF, we're going to send it to you. It was sent out two days ago. If you're on the NYU mailing list, we'll get it to you. It was sent out. And it's on my Facebook wall too right now, the PDF. It's unedited, it's a little ratchet, have mercy. Right? He says, اختلاف المسالك لا يلزموا من اختلاف المسالك are ways, paths that we take. So he's saying, just because we come from different paths doesn't mean that our objective isn't the same. What do you think that means? What do you think he's up to here? Let's get someone else, sorry. I want someone that hasn't shared. I got the regulars. God bless you guys. But we need some, some, some new voices. Some other, mashallah, lights and geniuses to share with us. لا يلزم اختلاف المسارك اختلاف المقصد Different approaches doesn't necessitate 
necessarily mean that we have a different objective. Ooh, it's beautiful. What does that mean? Yes, your name, sorry. Afnan, Ahlan Beek. Exactly. And that's why, good, mashallah. He says, Meaning, perhaps, قد, guys, قد, meaning, perhaps, the goal is the same, even though they're doing different things. So maybe you like to make dhikr. Maybe I like to study. Maybe you work as a lawyer defending sexually trafficked people. You're taking on major issues in the world. Maybe this person's into engineering. All that can be for God. All of that can lead us to God. So we might come from different places. Maybe as a gynecologist, we're coming from different places as an educator. But the end result is Allah. So again, in that vein, what he's saying is everyone can seek God within their context and within their talent. So we should appreciate what amongst each other? Diversity. Why would Imam Malik say, a scholar should never compel people to be like him. It's a very beautiful statement. Why would classical books say it's dislike to dress like your teacher, to talk like your teacher, to carry yourself like your teacher? Because, like, you create a cult, man. Like an ikhtilaf al-masarik, right? Different approaches, different styles, personalities. And strategically, also, it's dumb if we all act like say Khal Latif, I'm a little bit taller than him, or everybody act like me, I'm a little taller than everybody else. I wouldn't worry about anyone following my fashion sense. God help you. <laughs> but what I'm saying, would that be strategically wise to place yourself in a society and everybody acts exactly the same? So it's also strategically short-sighted. So Sheikh is saying what? Appreciate different passions, approaches, backgrounds people are coming from because if they all want God then what they're doing inshallah is for Allah appreciate it and he builds on it he says now you can appreciate your talent you can appreciate your passion you can appreciate what you do you don't have to feel bad about what God has blessed you to be good at but you can think about turning that to God, making that for God. And no one should censor people for that. You know, one of the loneliest professions in our community is the arts. You run into Muslims who are artists, and they struggle to feel part of the community because they've been blasted into pieces and told their passion was wrong. The Prophet doesn't very rarely ask people to lose themselves he asked them to reorient themselves. So the braveness of Khalid bin Walid is rechanneled 
into something else. The political know-how of Umar al-Khattab is channeled into a different direction. The genius of Aisha is channeled into something positive. The insight of Salman is redirected to a religious vein. But never do you hear the Prophet tell people, don't be who you are. That's what makes him incredible. So a great religious leader and a great religious community isn't one that compels people to uniformity. But a great religious leader and a great religious community is understanding that we have unity with diversity. The unity is God. The diversity is the way that I come to God. And that's different for everybody. So he says, and then he, he talks about in his situation what's going on. So he says, In his age, there were people known for being like really focused on religious devotion. So they were called ubad, worshippers. Wazuhad, people who were indifferent to the world, away from the dunya. Walma'rifa, the scholars, people that were deeply thinking about the issues of theology. Masariku li qurbil haqqi ala sabil karama. All those are ways to God. All those are past being nearer to God. And all of them are like intertwined with one another. Like Islam, Iman, and what? Ihsan. So someone who claims to know God and to be an intellectual, right? There has to be worship involved. Because why would I claim to know God and not worship Him? So that's like contradictory. And then he says, because like, why would you not worship what you claim to know when that thing that you claim to know is demanding that you what? That you worship it. And also, if someone's going to worship Allah, they're going to have to pull a little bit away from opulence. We'll talk about that maybe in the next one. Because it demands that kind of, like today, I want to watch a football game, but I got to teach. So I had to pull back from something. I had to be disciplined. Then <coughs> he says, And of course, a worshiper. Uh, uh, and then he says, And for the one who's indifferent to the world, he has to have knowledge. She has to have knowledge. Because why are you leaving opulence? Who are you leaving it for? So if you don't know, how are you going to leave? And if worship is one of the keys to achieving a balance of indifference to the world, then you also have to have worship. So he's showing how they all, there's intersectionality between them. Then he says, And someone who claims to be a worshiper has to have knowledge, has to be somewhat aloof from the cult of opulence. Because we can't worship without knowledge. And someone will not find the time to worship unless they pull back from doing it. So what he's saying is all these paths intertwine. All these roles are a way to God. We'll take uh, one more inshallah and we'll finish. 
he does something here that's remarkable, and, and, and uh, my apologies for not being able to get it all done. But all of this, as far as different perspectives and approaches to God, rest on time. What I want you to do is think about, and I want myself to think about, how do I spend my time? So here he's going to help us identify certain characteristics within ourselves. Who we are. What path are we on? So he says, Naam, indeed. Man So a person who finds that the majority of their time is consumed, free time he means, with worship, then understand that their path is the path of a worshiper. Abid. Al-Turk and whoever, majority of their time, is avoiding the cult of dunya and staying away from even the permissible because they're worried that it may lead them into the impermissible. Fazahid. And that's someone who's indifferent to dunya. And then he says, And whoever has found their time occupied with thinking about the names and attributes of God and how those work in creation, then this is an arif. Could we add to this? Like, are there only three? Are there other things we could add to this description when he says, in regards to time, if you find yourself occupied with worship, then you're an abid, free time. If you find yourself occupied by avoiding evil, you're a zahid. If you find, uh, and opulence and excess, and if you find yourself busy thinking and pondering, then this is an arif. What about someone who finds their time standing up for justice? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Afnan. So the Sheikh in his book, good. The Sheikh in his book, he's using worship here to mean specifically involved in the five pillars. Fasting, prayer, fal'abid, yani ya'budullah, dhikr, salah. If you want to say the Sheikh, he meant it in the most broadest sense of the word worship, we could throw all that in there. But let, let's, let's, and all these people are engaged in worship, right? So you could add to that an activist, you could add to that a physician, you could add to that whatever. Those people are going to be rooted somehow in religious service. You see his point? So the path is open to everybody who's trying to do something which would be generally good, falling under the generality of piety or worship. Uh, if we had time, and we don't, we would talk about that Again, he talks about roles and responsibilities and how we all have different roles and responsibilities, even though our goal is to God. What is he trying to do? He's trying to create a community that appreciates diversity 
but also understands like we can be tolerant of each other's different approaches. And he's writing this through the frame of legal axioms. Then he talks about teaching and tailoring things. So he mentions how the Prophet taught people differently. How the Prophet said, speak to people according to where they are. How the Prophet was diverse in his education. So now when I'm, earlier someone asked about how do you guide people, right? You got to know people before you can guide them. Got to understand what makes them move. Coalition building demands what? Canvassing. I know my constituency. So he mentions a very, and that also implies that religion is not a monopoly. Like it's not secret. Many of the Torok became very secret. Sheikh, he didn't like this. It's like there needs to be access for people. One of the biggest challenges, like, I get this question every time I teach, is like, how do I do this? Because we're not used to having access to people, that tech support that I talked about earlier. And, and that's the challenge, I think, of our community is, yeah, it's great to have uh, imams and teachers who are like, you know, we see them online and they're giving lectures and they're on stage. But we have to hold them accountable to be accessible, man. As much as they can. Of course, I need to talk to you right now. Well, you know, my wife's home and she just cooked. No, no, you have to talk to me. Like, that's not fair. But in general, accessibility. And I would, earlier the idea about what's a scholar, I would say another one is accessibility and engagement. Constantly. You know, constant engagement. Being accessible. Of course, some people have personality, they're eccentric. Well, then don't go into the public sphere, man. Like, don't be brave online and then aloof in life. You set, you set people up for something wrong. Um... He mentions something cool about this. He says that someone asked you, Nate, you know, how many times do you call upon Allah in front of the people? Like you mentioned Allah. He said, no, no, unadihim I call them when I'm obeying Allah. Like I asked them to join in this, to be part of this process. I don't restrict it. So in teaching people I'm accessible, then I appreciate differences. Um, Another thing he talks about is that the path is wide, man. We know we have the qira'ah, zirat al-mustaqim. The qira'ah of khalad. Zirat is actually the root word of sirat. Most people say sad, sirat. But sirat came from zirat. In Egypt, we say, hasbu eh? Hasbu zuruf di? Zuruf za. Za and Saad in Egypt got married. And their baby was what? Za. Saad and Zad together. Hanging out. That's their baby. Ancestral.com. One of the seven qiraat, Khalaf and Khalad. Imam Shatabi said, Wasada Zayn Ashimaha Lada Khalafin. Right? One of the seven ways we read the Quran, I don't want to confuse you all, uh, is المستقيم, not sirat. There's also seen sirat from the seven qiraat. Qumbula. The word zirat in Arabic actually means to swallow. The Arabs used to say, La takun hulwan futasarrat, fatasarrut. 
Like, if you're too nice to people, they'll swallow you. Fatu zarrat. They're going to swallow you. And don't be too bitter. Fatuqa. They'll throw you up. It's like an old idiom. Why would that word zirat turn into sirat to mean a path? Because our relationship with faith, our relationship is that it like it submerged us. It swallowed us. And they called it sirat because they said a wide path when you walk far away, it's like it what? It swallowed you. We couldn't see you anymore, but we could see the what? Sirat. That's the difference between tariq and sirat. Tariq is like mudayyaq. Something like fine and small. But sirat is like wide. So again, the sheikh, building on his earlier kind of approach, he says, Everything has its adherence. Every physician, lawyer, abid, zahid, saleh, whatever, evil, has its adherence. A purpose and a place and a reality. And then he says something very important. Sufism is for anybody who seeks God. So he's still building on the idea of not turning this into a cult, man. But people are going to come from different masadic, different places, different styles, different approaches, different commitments. But if their heart is for God, then they're a seeker of ihsan. B based on those conditions of iman and Islam that we talked about earlier. And we'll finish there, inshallah, because there's a lot more to cover. We'll try to do this again in a few months, inshallah as time permits. If you have any questions, we can take the questions. If not, Barakallahu Feekum. May Allah SWT reward you. Alhamdulillah, we, we covered a lot of stuff, man. Um, usually, each principle we take with a teacher for like an hour. So we're trying to cover, we're covering around 30, Alhamdulillah, uh, out of 206. So, mashallah, we're trying to get there. But we'll take any questions you have, and then uh, Barakallahu Feekum. Yes, sir. Yeah, so sincerity, the word ikhlas means to clean. To khalus min al-shawa'ib means to clean something. Ikhlas comes from the word which means to clean. In order, in order for me to clean something, it has to be what? It has to be dirty. So I need to appreciate the tests and trials. Allah says, وَإِنَّ لَكُمْ فِي الْأَنْعَامِ Allah said, there is a lesson for you in cows. نُسْقِيكُمْ مِمَّا فِي بُطُونِهَا We bring milk for you from a cow. بَيْنَ فَرْثْ وَالْدَمْ between feces and blood, Lebanon Khalisan comes pure blood. So through the blood and feces of life, I achieve sincerity. Sincerity doesn't just happen. Remember, we used to go to Sheikh Muhammad Noor in St. Louis. We drive all the way from Oklahoma City, man, to his halaqa. We'd say, like, how do you become sincere? He's like, Are you crazy? It's not like something you just read and now you're sincere. He's like, it's a process. So the ups, the downs, the successes, the failures are all opportunities for me to uh, take uh, inventory on myself and work on myself. And I may be a little sincere, and that's acceptable. My sincerity may go up and down. Like you said, like, you know, sometimes I'm going to the masjid because I'm trying to get a job, dude. He talks about that later on, as I said, so hopefully we can get to it in the future. Yes, sir. Yeah, tasawf is the science of spirituality, like fiqh is the science of practice. So his question is, 
I don't understand what you mean the only man. What is it? So I can answer your question is like Tasawwuf, the only thing that really talks about this. I can say that Tasawwuf to spirituality is fiqh to Islamic law. That's your answer. Can you find something outside of fiqh that talks about Islamic law? Like with that depth or that detail? I didn't say that. I'm not going, to, I'm careful of absolutes. I'm saying this is considered what qiraat is to read in the Quran, Tasawwuf is to moving your heart. You can call what you want to call. We already talked about that. Tazkiyat al-Nafs. doesn't matter. And, and again, Tasawwuf has its extremes, its moderation, its balance. We'll, we'll hopefully one day be able to open that up more, inshallah. Good question. Anything else? Any thoughts or reflections on what you took over the last day and a half? Critiques also are, it's okay. Like, be critical. You don't have to like, be nice. You can be slightly mean. Um, any thoughts you want to summarize how you feel what you're able to assess uh, in taking the course over the last day or so please share also inshallah that there is much there's a lot out there man yes sir We'll take it though. We'll take oh, it. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. Contact is acceptable. Spiritual contact. Till four. Yeah, they tripping. Yeah, they're, they're tripping. Yeah, they, they lost their minds. They're tripping. Yes, ma'am. 